rise up, young man. Rise up, young lady. You are not alone. No matter what you're going through, it is going to pass. You're going to come out the other side. Keep shining. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of You Are Not Alone podcast by Mamba Inspire Brand. Like the title suggests, the purpose of this podcast is to help people out there who are going through unimaginable struggles know that they are not alone and believe that they will come out on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we have a very special guest with us today, CG. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing good. It's How cold are you? as heck out there. It's very cold, yes. Man, it's 9, 9 p.m. here yes. in Austin. Yes, and it it's, is. I think it's the coldest night of the winter so far. I think so. And it's windy too. So it's Tomorrow I hear it's going to get even worse. I know. That's what I heard. I heard it's going to get down to 29 degrees. Yeah, well... Thank you so much for giving us your time. Of course. I know you took a long walk to get okay. to get I'm to the excited. studio. I'm excited. I'm That's excited. amazing. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, my name is CG Deliawe. Um, I whoa. Where should I start? There's a lot. Mm, should I start from the beginning? Let me see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess I'll just start a little bit from the beginning. I was born in Nigeria. I came to the states when I was. About three, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm currently a senior at the University of Texas at Austin, uh, majoring in Plan 2 Honors, which is an interdisciplinary course, wow. and Business Honors as well. And Number one business program in the nation. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm really passionate about social entrepreneurship, so that's what I'm doing, like research and my thesis in and um stuff like that yeah so that's amazing <laughs> yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about that later okay yeah for sure but do you remember growing up i didn't know you grew up in nigeria do you remember well i didn't grow anything? up there yeah of course the first yeah year. so i love i'm the youngest of i four thought you siblings. were born here and your parents mm -mm. Okay. i'm the youngest of four siblings so wow. i remember it the least unfortunately but i've been back a few times as well wow mm -hmm. did you so your parents left there and came to the united States? do you remember why the purpose oh well of the you know they actually we actually went to australia first mm. Because at the time it was easier to get a visa to Australia, mm -hmm. and then we were we went there like we're gonna settle down in Australia. And I would have had such a cool accent. I'm low key like okay, mate. <laughs> yeah, all right, mate or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> down <-nanza. laughs> But that was more British. It's okay. Um, but yeah, we didn't stay there. What actually happened was a friend um played the like Nigerian visa lottery. Okay. For or the U.S. visa lottery for us. Wow. Um, from they were in the U.S. and they um just processed the documents in Nigeria to um yeah put put our names in the lottery for a visa a u.s visa and it was so uncommon and we weren't even there to sign it and it was really the grace of god honestly it was kind of a miracle but yeah we we won we got our visas and so the whole family moved to the u.s after about like a year and a half straight to dallas straight to dallas and you were about five years old yeah well i was about three three three, three, three or still. four three okay four, yeah wow so what was growing up like in Dallas? In Dallas, what was it like? Uh, it was just normal. We lived in like the suburbs. We okay. moved to like three different suburbs um, before we like now currently live in the last one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was normal. We like, I want to say 
We struggled because God always had us, of but course. we it took us, of course, an adjustment period to get on our feet. But like, mm-hmm. my parents are super entrepreneurial. Like, um, my dad went back to school, and my mom had like she was a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. I remember one of my earliest memories is she was holding my hand. I would walk from like beauty supply to beauty supply. She would give out her cards, wow. and she did like hair in the back of our house. And it was just I don't know. I remember being, um, yeah. Very happy, wow, and yeah. we 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 got settled very quickly. Of course, that's one amazing thing about the African home. It's yeah. like you always, no matter how little you have, yeah, the kid will always feel like they have everything. Exactly, because your parents gonna do everything exactly. to make sure they of that. Really, wow, they did a lot. That's for amazing. Us. So that's recent. That's pretty recent. Yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, did you feel like did you have any difficulty balancing the culture that? Your parents were trying to teach you the Nigerian culture, I'm sure, uh-huh. versus you trying to go to school and learning the American. Yes. How hard was that? It was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult because, yeah, it's just very, very different. Um, and I would say, like, at home it was, like, 90% like Nigerian culture and at school it was like 90% like American culture mm-hmm. so it wasn't a whole lot of overlap for me to relate and I just sometimes I didn't like understand certain things mm-hmm. um and I think there's like there's Nigerian culture but my parents are also very like strong Christians mm-hmm. so I added another layer of kind of intensity to like you know, just going to school and just wanting to, like, have fun and do certain things. My parents were like, no. Uh, <laughs> or they were just very, very strict, very protective. Um, but, yeah, the Nigerian culture was good. Like, certain foods that I would bring to school for lunch, they would be like, what's that? I'm like, don't worry. Don't worry don't about worry. it. Don't worry. You or, didn't let them taste it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, sorry, what was that? You didn't let them taste it? No. <laughs> that's my own food. They can't have it. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me um, that didn't really have, I mean, I, ha- I guess it had to do with how my parents named me. Mm-hmm. It was my name. Oh, my gosh. I got like, <laughs> bu- I got made fun of, especially when I got to middle school. Kids were so mean. And my full name was Oluwashi Jubomi. And, oh, my goodness, they would just say gibberish. And I used to feel so bad. I remember one day I went home. I was like, Mommy, like, just change my name in the system. <laughs> like, you could call me Oluwashi Jubomi at home. They don't even call me that. My parents call me Shijubomi. I was like, that could be my official name, but, like, like in the school records, like make my name such They're like, no, you should be proud of your name. We gave you that name for a reason. It means God is my shield. Uh-uh, what do you mean? And I was like, bro, but like you don't understand. Like I'm getting bullied. Like this is not fun. What and was the worst thing they ever called you? Um, you know what? The worst things were the ones that were like. I can't remember word, word for word because mm-hmm. it was, like, incomprehensible. <laughs> like, the really one that used to get to me was, yeah. like, they would literally just say gibberish, using letters that, like, yeah. didn't have, like, wow. and I'm yeah. like, what is this? Like, this is just disrespectful because, like, <laughs> someone's name and you're just, like, rubbishing it. It wasn't fun. And Definitely. then, oh, when we had substitute teachers, oh, my God, don't get me started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it's a long rant. Um, I'm good with it now. I love my name. I wouldn't change it for the world. But it was a, l- a little bit tough growing up. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing, CJ. So you left. Yeah. Uh, you you graduated from uh, Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. And you decided to come to follow your sibling step to the yes. University of Texas <laughs> at Austin. Yeah. Right. And uh, business school, which mm-hmm. is one of the number one school in the nation again. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you are an African American woman mm-hmm. in a population of eight person. Mm-hmm. African American total, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. How hard was it for you to adapt once you got here? 
I think it was really difficult. And I think, so I went to Cedar Hill Collegiate High School, um, and it was a small high school, but it was still like 85, 90% black. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my town itself was majority minority. Okay. And so, but I was always kind of the outlier. Like kids used to tell me like I acted white or whatever. Oh, and so I was like, oh, I'm coming to a place that I knew because my older <laughs> siblings went here. So I knew like the demographic makeup. So I really didn't expect for it to be difficult for me. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, bet. I'm coming to a place with a lot of white people. They used to always make fun of me for being an Oreo or whatever. So uh-huh. this should be easy peasy. And it wasn't. It was really, really difficult. Like I just... In my major freshman year, I was the only black woman in mm-hmm. my class, in the class of 2020, in the business honors program. And I would just remember being so shocked, and I was just so, like, I felt like my heart sunk when I saw it, because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I don't got not one more. Like, <laughs> I don't see no one that actually looks like me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was just an experience I never had. So I really, really struggled with it for a long time, like, a lot of imposter syndrome, like mm-hmm. it affected like my confidence. I felt like I couldn't be myself fully just because like my major was difficult. So mm-hmm. like the thing I met, spent, spent the most time doing, like I couldn't relate to um, in any level. Wow. And it's also a very community-based major. It's a community-based place. And I mm-hmm. was really looking for that community inside of my major and I could not find it. And I don't know. Wow. I put a lot. I just... My expectations were so much higher than my reality. And you got disappointed. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't, if I just had let go of my expectations a little bit, I'd been okay. But I really clung to what I thought I was going to find in Mm -hmm. college. and Yeah, so it was a difficult adjustment period. Microaggressions, like insensitive comments, all that type of stuff. Wow. How did you, like, get that? Like... Cause many people when they tr- when when that happen mm-hmm. when they give those microaggressions, yeah. right? It's like they don't realize how bad it is. Yeah. Like, one time I remember specifically, I came from shadowing, right? Uh-huh. And I had a uh, my, my my uniform was a black nurse uniform. Yeah. So I came into class. I was rushing, uh-huh. right? Of course, trying to just <laughs> get to class. And yeah. when I came in. This guy on my side, yeah. I think he's a good guy, you yeah. know. But he turned around and looked at me. I say, "What's up?" He was like, you look very black today, <laughs> right? And I'm like... Just dumb stuff. So I what? told him, uh, go home and think about what you just said. I'm <laughs> let me know. But how, did you, how do you take those little... Mic- and don't let them affect you? Like, how do you deal yeah, with those? Yeah, uh, I think sometimes... And this is just for me personally. Like, I used to let everything, like, really hit me. Mm-hmm. But it's literally just not a sustainable, like mindset Mm -hmm. to take everything personally Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like ignorance Mm -hmm. and so like personally the way i've dealt with it is to develop a certain level of grace for people Mm -hmm. um because at least a lot of the comments i get i can see that they literally just did not think through what they said before they said it and they didn't like acknowledge the fact that like oh i'm a black woman and this is going to be taken in a in a bad way, mm-hmm. not to excuse it, mm-hmm. but just to explain it. And so that explanation of it, at least for me, gives me a little bit of grace for those people. Mm-hmm. To And also, like, understanding that it's not my duty, responsibility. I have to carry very heavily on my shoulder to, like, educate people and make sure they never, you know, act this way again. And I really used to take that on. I'm like, okay, now that you've made this mistake with me, you must never treat another <laughs> black person like this. Let me teach you what you did wrong. And I was like, mm. 
yes, like sometimes that's good, especially if it's someone that I know has a good heart, want to develop a relationship. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, like, bro, I just need to not be Get around away you. From like, it, let me just move about my business because it's literally not sustainable to take everything of to course. heart like that. So, yeah. And then, so, yeah, mostly I just have grace for people and brush them off. But, like, tell them as well like don't be passive or let people walk over me yeah. but like just get out how i'm feeling in the moment you don't say that not to a black woman literally plain and then move on like don't carry it around definitely yeah. maintain your respect yeah so definitely so in a class of 220 mm-hmm. being the only one how hard was it to like do study group the um, office hours when you come in telling a professor that you are having a hard time L- oh, learning yeah. something yeah oh my goodness it's actually really difficult um it was a, a little bit less it was about one maybe 150 mm-hmm. um students but yeah um it was just i just felt so off like so out of place i don't know and i think it was a lot of personal things it was mm-hmm. like a lot of personal um I think I projected a lot onto the people around me mm-hmm. that they didn't even necessarily manifest for themselves. Like, I just immediately, like, took that I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, yes, it was very bad and um, it was very um, inequitable for me to be the only black woman. But I also, like, attributed certain things to the environment, to the space that that space doesn't necessarily carry. Like, it wasn't that I couldn't relate to anyone, but I felt that. It wasn't that, like, no one, you know, could be my friend or could, you know, wanted to study with me. But I really, really felt like that. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like I wasn't being embraced. Mm -hmm. And some of that was reality, but some of that was just like my expectations and like having my guard up exactly. against the environment. Imposter syndrome. Exactly. Um and so yeah, and because it's such in my opinion, it's a very community driven t- type of learning environment. Mm-hmm. So like when the difficult classes came, like I didn't have anyone to ask for help or to work out questions with or I felt even it was like got to a point where like I felt bad going to office hours or even raising my hand or saying anything. Mm-hmm. And um we did like an exercise once and I kind of voiced a little bit about how it was to be like the only representative of my specific demographic for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Like this is the only real kind of up close and personal interaction that they're going to have with a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so I had carried a lot of responsibility for that. Like it made me like really check and really guard myself. Everything I said, I didn't want them to, to carry this impression of all black women. Cause I, even if they didn't want to, I knew they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me just be very careful that I sounded very intelligent, as intelligent as possible, because mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, so they need to know this and this and this about black women. If they're taking things away, they need to know that, you know, black women are intelligent. They have a lot to say. They're, like, wise. They're, you know, confident. They, I dressed very well because I was just like, I ain't talking to all y'all, but, like, you need to know, like, what I'm about because if this is what you think about black women then, like, that's what I need to be. And it was so, I was so dramatic about it. I put so <laughs> much pressure on myself to be, like, this model of black women, which is, like, a very toxic yeah. attitude to try to, instead of trying to be myself. Of course. And that's what it did. It caused me to try to be S- somebody somebody yeah. that I wasn't. Um, yeah. That's and, real. Yeah. And then that, it was just a cycle, a self-perpetuating cycle, because that um, lack of um, genuineness mm-hmm. caused people to, like, I think, I think people sensed it as well. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't form those friendships that I thought I couldn't form. And I didn't really, you know, get invited to the study groups. And it was a lot. And so, like, I actually thought about quitting at a point. I talked to a lot of people about it. Wow. Um, But then I said, well, 
I can like take this anger and like leave, which was I think would have been better for my mental health because mm-hmm. it affected that as well. Or like I can like kind of channel it into you know something that's gonna be a positive. And now that I have a seat at this table, being the only you know black woman here, I don't want to then give up that seat so there's no one to speak on behalf of this issue, so there's no one to speak for this demographic, so that when, you know, another freshman comes in and they're looking to the grade levels above to see, well, if if there's no one around me who's above me that looks like me, I don't want them to find a gap. I don't want them to see no one, you know? It was only three black people total in our class. Wow. So, yeah, I was like, I can't reduce that number by a third, like, gotta (laughs) stick it out. That is crazy. So, talking about mental health that's one of the things that i begin to learn and mm-hmm. it's amazing the kind of yeah. things that's happening in, in, in that area right yeah. so be, as an african as an african woman african mm-hmm. representing african-american mm-hmm. usually it's the same right yeah. so when you felt that way during that time mm-hmm. when you were having so much trouble yeah did you feel like you could talk to someone how hard was it to talk even to your parents yeah uh, actually refer to myself as Nigerian American because mm-hmm. that's what feels authentic to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But um, yeah, it was a little bit difficult. Difficult because like I just knew that like even the friends that I did make who were outside of that program, mm-hmm. like I just knew that like you can't really understand exactly what it is to mm-hmm. be like the only one, like mm-hmm. the isolation of that, unless you're in it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't think I could find someone who shared my exact experience. But then I learned that, like, people don't have to share my exact experience to be able to relate and to empathize. And I actually did need someone to vent to. And so, like, I had a um, an advisor. Her name was Tisha. Oh, my gosh. I, shout like, out. <laughs> shout out to Tisha. Um, I'm still, like, friends with her until um, this day. Mm-hmm. And um, she was a white woman, but she was just so, like, bro, she was so down for the cause. Like, mm-hmm. I could tell that it wasn't, like, pity it wasn't like all of this well i don't know how to fix this so i'm just not gonna pay attention to it like Mm -hmm. attitude that i felt a lot of adults around me um had she just really like listened like literally i would go into her office and i would just cry Mm -hmm. and i would vent and she really tried as much as she could to like um implement things and just hear me out and Mm -hmm. um and and yeah so and it was someone within the program like she was a BHP advisor. Wow. So I, f- I really attribute, like, my even staying in the program past freshman year, like, mm. I really attribute it to her. Like, she really shaped my experience in a lot of ways because, like, if I didn't have her as an outlet, like, I would have left. Like, I couldn't have handled it. Um, yeah. And then I eventually, like, talked to my parents about it. I just vented. But oh, of course wow. they were like, this is a really good program. Stick it out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I talked to, like, some friends about it as well. But, yeah, I still very much, um, Tisha probably helped me the most, but I still very much got the sense that, like, no one could really understand, like, what it meant and, um, if they weren't experiencing, and if they also like, I think it's a background thing too. Because mm-hmm. if you're a person who has been in a the only black person in a in all white spaces or all you know non black spaces all your life, mm-hmm. then it, there's a sort of familiarity you had with that. But it was just so starkly different from any experience that I've ever had, mm-hmm. um, and and my background and my upbringing. Then I think it really uh, added an extra layer of like uncomfortability. So yeah. wow, that is amazing. So the first time we met was at Leadership, yeah, one of the best leadership. camps ever, right? I love it, I love it, yes. Leadership is an amazing camp, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one thing they taught us is leadership and the idea to be able to act on your ideas that are yeah. 
no matter how how young you are it's yeah. just they give you that refreshness that belief that you can be whoever you want mm-hmm. how did that camp impact you it impacted me a lot like um just being nigerian uh, being born in nigeria i knew that i wanted to um do something like within Nigeria, especially affecting women, especially affecting young people, especially with education. Mm-hmm. And so it really just brought out those ideas and those developed those kind of, um, yeah, those kind of ideas in me. And I, I attribute, like I mentioned before that I'm really passionate about social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And that is like the first, cause it, oh yeah, wow. I love leadership. It actually <laughs> defined a lot of my college experience after that because that was this, the winter break after my freshman year. Uh-huh. So that was my first um, experience, like, understanding what social entrepreneurship really was. Then we watched a video mm-hmm. about, like, um, who was it? Um, G- like Garamine? The eye care people yeah, yeah, yeah. and the social enterprise. I don't know. Anyways. Um, and then um, also, like, em- empathy and leadership. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it um, kind of catapulted me to a lot of leadership positions on campus. And just, yeah, I just resonated with the message of that so much about um, empowering people and making, like, world-changing um, innovations and leading with empathy, like, a lot of those things. So. Wow. Most, wow. That's, that's leadership, <laughs> yeah. really. Most of us, that I, most people that I talk to, they're talking about after they came out of leadership, that's when they started grinding. It's yeah. Just, it gives you that belief that yeah, it's you're time. around so many like many yeah. people too, but very diverse, but very mm-hmm. the way they think about the world is similar. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So you started Kika. I did, I did. Talk more about that. Yes. So oh so very excited. Um, there's a lot of things in the works with the Kika Project. But the Kika Project is a nonprofit that I started my freshman year. Um, and the goal of the nonprofit is to promote literacy mm-hmm. in um rural areas of Nigeria through um building libraries, local libraries. Uh so yeah, I started it um the spring semester of my sophomore year, my grandfather passed away mm-hmm. and it just made me start thinking more about like where I come from and all the stories that passed away when he passed away mm-hmm. um, just because um, they were never necessarily like written down or communicated and so I really wanted to start something that would that would leave a legacy like in his honor but that would also like really like empower the the people in you know the village that my parents come from especially the young people mm-hmm. to read and um, gain education because it was just drilled into me all my life that that was the only thing that brought us out of like the level of really poverty that my parents grew up with the only thing that got them to where they are to get me to where I am mm-hmm. is education 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 um, and so I've always thought about that my whole life and reading was a big part of like my formative years my parents used to just drop me at the library for hours um and so um yeah it was just something that i knew and i knew like especially since you know the 60s when my dad was in elementary school the education system in nigeria Mm -hmm. especially in the rural areas the public schools especially had just um there'd been a lot of degradation so yeah i I wanted to um, start something with all of those things in mind so first it started off just a book drive i wanted to donate Mm -hmm. books to the school in nigeria and then i was talking to the principal of this school in this um village it's called ipoti it's in ekiti state if anyone knows shout out um (laughs) but 
Yeah, and he was like, oh, we don't, we don't have a library at this public school. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, like um, really bad weather situations, like destroyed the wow. building where the library was and no one had rebuilt it. And the children were just basically reading like the school books, like the textbook, but there was no culture of like reading for leisure. There was no like space that like cultivated that interest in reading where it developed those, that curiosity in children. Um, and so that's why I started the Kika Project and established it as a nonprofit to raise money and collect books and really like plant libraries, just starting with the one that's closest to home. But really the goal is like all over Nigeria. Like I think it's important for um, to invest in students in that way, to give them a place in a community to read. Because uh, I was reading a book by Muhammad Yunus who, uh, um, you know, founded all these social enterprises and microloans. And he talks about um, the inherent potential, you know, in every in every person, mm-hmm. right? And, like, people are, like, you know, trees or plants. And, like, they're, the same amount of potential is in each person. Like, just because someone reached this level and another person reached a lower level, like, or someone is in poverty or someone isn't, like, it's circumstances, it's dependent on their circumstances, but it's also dependent on how much they were poured into so how much rain they got how much sunlight they got if we're using the plant analogy wow. and and so um there's if there's that amount of potential everyone has the same um right to have that potential developed in them everyone has the same right to have that education um to be able to use education as a platform to step to reach that full potential in themselves and i'm just so 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 passionate, passionate about, about that this. um um it's just it's unjust and it's unright that um there are people in this world all over the world not just in nigeria who are um you know forgotten about you know and it um, and people don't invest in them in the way they invest in others with maybe different life circumstances. And education, especially literacy, is literally just one small sliver, but it's the sliver that like is closest to my heart mm-hmm. that I really feel like I can make a difference in. And so it's the one that I've chosen to tackle. And the Kika Project just just that. So, yeah. Man, <laughs> that's amazing, man. <laughs> I, and I really love how you explained it. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I've learned um, in the past few years is that a book is more valuable than anything you have. Mm-hmm. It's like there's so many things you can learn exactly. in books. So many ideas you can have. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Good job. So... Mm-hmm. As many people may guess, if they knew what was the presidential award, oh. <laughs> you got the presidential award, one of the biggest award here at the University of Texas at Austin uh, because of the amazing things that students do. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Um, the president's leadership um, or the presidential award that I received, it meant a lot to me um, just because like, I was just doing it um, from a place of, oh, this is something that I care about, this is something I'm passionate about. Um, yeah, it meant a lot to me, but at the same time, like, it didn't. Like, it was great, it was nice. Like, it's always nice to feel recognized, mm-hmm. um, to feel seen. But at the same time, like, understand the reason why I'm doing the work, and I understand that, like, this idea, this project, this nonprofit is still in many ways in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in some ways, I was just like, oh, like, why are you awarding me already? Like, just wait, just wait. Um, <laughs> but um, 
No, I think it was a lot of encouragement, a lot mm-hmm. of motivation to, you know, achieve the the potential that other people saw in the work that I was doing. Um, and just a lot of validation to um, keep going, but to be like more intentional uh, in the ways that I lead as well. Definitely. So like at the end of the day, it wasn't just um, it wasn't just broad; it was deep. And so I think that's some of the things I felt from getting that award. That's amazing. So, of course, you have the passion, no doubt, yeah. right? But so many people come to UT. Mm-hmm. So many students yeah. come to UT with the idea that. They need to get an education. Yeah. They woke up every day and see that big lo- quote, yeah. what starts here changes the world, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They say, okay, I need to go get my education, start working, then I can yeah. change the world. Mm-hmm. But people like you coming here believing that I can't start now. Mm-hmm. Where do you get that motivation to just say, okay, I'm 19, I'm 20, 21 years old, yeah. but I do not have to wait until I'm 35 and start giving a salary to start changing the world? Yeah, um... That's a good question. So uh, I went to another leadership camp. Uh My junior, shout out to leadership camps, man. (laughs) It's good stuff. My junior year of high school, Mm -hmm. and there I heard a quote from a TED Talk that really stuck with me and Mm -hmm. that I took directly into my college applications. Mm -hmm. But it was just more, it was more than just like a nice sounding thing on an application. It's something that like I really wanted to base like my experience going forward on. Mm -hmm. And it was the idea that, there isn't just one word, world, this is the quote, there isn't just one world, there are um, 7 billion or 8 billion iterations of the world, right? There's 7 billion or 8 billion worlds out there because mm-hmm. in each person, there is a world that exists. And if you can just change one life, you've effectively changed the world. And so, I don't know, that idea just really resonated with me. It really blew my mind. I was like, okay, bet. Like, we changing the world, bet. Let's do it (laughs) tomorrow. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Um, And so, kind of, because if you get so overwhelmed with the world as like, a whole entity that's all consuming of all the people and all the issues and all the things that are just so systematic and so heavy, you'll get um, like analysis paralysis. You'll look so hard and, and, and analyze so hard and you'll just get overwhelmed by it and then that'll cause you to do nothing. And so I think that quote helped me um, kind of break free of that kind of mentality. And my dad also told me something when I was coming into the university, LOL. He was like, well... Shiji, you must not you must not let the you must not just pass through the university. <laughs> you must also allow the university to pass through you. you. And I was like, bro, like, huh? But no, it actually made sense. Like it was a lot of I don't want to say pressure, but mm-hmm. like I expected a lot out of myself. And so I think I wrote well, I guess my parents expected and I <laughs> a lot out of me and I assumed those expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I think I like once again, like maybe more of a a positive self-fulfilling prophecy Mm -hmm. i kind of like rose to kind of that standard that was set for me that i set for myself that like my mentality i think you like move in um the direction of your most persistent thoughts and Mm -hmm. those are my most persistent thoughts like all right i gotta i gotta play the game to change the game i'm in here like what am i gonna do but it also um all goes back to the things i'm passionate about the thing I'm passionate about wouldn't allow me to like sit still, mm-hmm. and so like a lot of that drive is like mission driven. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these things that I've done, and so it's not it's not necessarily about like oh I have to change something. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about something. Like what can I do? And then that has led to it. But I also want to c- give a caveat that like 
there's some people that are doing so much more than I'm doing. I'm just doing my best. So <laughs> let me insert some humility in there. Like I haven't done all that. Um, I've done I've done a I'm proud of myself, but there's a lot more that I could have done. There's there's a lot more that people are doing, and I've just done my best that I can. You contributed. Do. I you, contributed. You created your world. I contributed. Just I your contributed. part. I think I changed, you know, a little, a few worlds here and there. That's um, and so that's all I can really ask for. But I also had to get good grades, so <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Education is important. <laughs> definitely, definitely, and you are 20. One twenty-two years 22, old. Twenty-two, yeah. You have a whole world in this front of true. you. This is true. So, that's amazing. That's gonna be my code. <laughs> do not let, do not let, do not pass through college. Also, allow college to pass through yeah. you. Yeah, man, <laughs> that's an one. African code. It right really there. is, bro. My dad is actually wise. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, what's next? Do you know yet? Yeah, I do. Well, you know. Sometimes I think God uh, will give me, like, the next, like, one and a half to two steps. Mm -hmm. And then he has a big picture somewhere where I can't see it. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's looking like now. <laughs> um, so right after I graduate, I'm going to, um, to Deloitte back in Dallas okay. to work in consulting wow. for, you know, however long I need to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping I can, like, tie that experience um back to social entrepreneurship. I'm mm -hmm. going to have some opportunities, by the grace of God, to do some international development work um, at that firm as well, even while I'm doing consulting. So fingers crossed. We'll see. I'm excited about that. Um, but, yeah, and so that is what I will do right after. And then hopefully in the future it looks like a whole lot of yeah. social entrepreneurship, whether it's working for a social enterprise or like Definitely. continuing to build up my own social enterprise, doing research on it, all that type wow. of stuff. I'm just, I'm really focused Definitely. on it. And I know, I know you want to stop. Knowing you, you just got to <laughs> do have both because one of my biggest mentors uh, mm -hmm. told me this. She say, when I finish my job, mm -hmm. at my job, mm -hmm. I go home and do my work. Yeah. And I was amazed. I say, explain. Then she say, yeah. Like she go to work every day and yeah. she do what the company tell her to do. But yeah. when she came back home, she work on her own job. Yep. She have a lot of books that she wrote. Mm. She's a director of multiple films. Wow. She has podcasts. Wow. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, definitely. So yeah. I'm sure mm -hmm. you're going to combine and do all those things. Well, you know, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Mm. Thank you so much, CG, for giving us your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. Wow, I've never been on a podcast before. This is cool. Um, yeah. I literally listen to podcasts all the time. I was listening to one on the way over here, so, like, I'm excited. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I'm excited. It, yeah. it was a privilege having you, for Thank sure. Thank you so much. So there you have it, people. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mamba Inspire You Are Not Alone podcast. We have another great story next episode. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Look up Mamba Inspire.